It's time once again for the Worship Ministry Catalyst Podcast with your hosts, David Lindner and Kevin Cruz. Worship Ministry Catalyst is a resource for all worship leaders and team members serving in the local church. Take a seat at the table and join the conversation as David, Kevin, and their guests discuss all things worship, from team dynamics to technology to song selection. Feel free to poke fun at David's hair, talk football, or bring up other topics that have nothing to do with worship. We want to add your voice to the conversation. Find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash WMCatalyst. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Worship Ministry Catalyst. Or just head over to worshipministrycatalyst.com and drop a note in the comments section of any episode. And now, it's time for the show. Hey, hey, hey. Hello. Welcome. Welcome we to are. another edition of Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast. Worship Catalyst. We are still on the air. We're doing it. Hey, we had another some, another person text in. Oh, no way. A local listener. Uh, Yay. Uh, someone from Longview, actually, Regan. Regan Cords. No way. And uh, he... He did some uh, work with us at Longview and at Gateway, and he's still helping out at Gateway while after I left there. And I actually wow. brought him down to Church of God. He does Three Rivers Audio Visual. He's not paying me to do this, by the way. No, this is a free, but, uh, unsolicited plug. Yeah, if you're in kind of the Southwest Washington, Northwest Oregon, the, you know the Upper Left USA, Regan does a great job. He's and he's affordable, much more affordable than some of the bigger companies that I've worked with over the years. Some of those and, big guys. Uh, so anyway. Three Rivers AV is how you can get a hold of him, and I uh, just wanted to give him a shout out because he took the time to text in. Yes, and maybe there are other, you know, there are other listeners that have companies where they're trying to get a foothold and helping the church do this or that, and you just text in, and we'll give text you a little in. shout out. What's that number again, David? Three six zero eight one eight four three nine nine. Text in, you guys. Three six zero eight one eight. Four three three nine. Okay, cool. We got the jingle. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I told you that I stole that jingle for yes. our home phone, right? Or yeah. not home phone, but yeah, my we cell phone. About that for last time. So yeah, that's right. All right. Yeah. So Old anyway, news. here we are. You know what is weird about today? It's like sixty-two degrees, but we know that tomorrow it's going to be hot and sunny. Like ninety-degree weather is coming. I'm wearing a sweater. It's the middle of May. And I'm wearing a sweater and I'm, yeah. I was talking to my mom on Mother's Day. This last Sunday was Mother's Day. It was. Happy Mother's and, Day, all uh, you moms. And she was saying, yeah, you know, we're, you know, kind of helping, helping my sister and her husband get the pool ready for summer. And so I was like, get the pool. pool. <laughs> You're like, what are we're you still in winter like, mode. It was 47 today. What are you talking about? I mean. <laughs> I can't imagine being getting the red pool ready, but then in like four days from now, it's going to be 90, 90. degrees. It was, it was crazy because last Wednesday, last Tuesday and Wednesday, so we, we live in the Northwest, for those of our listeners who don't know, uh, the great Northwest. Uh, specifically, we live in the Portland area, actually technically Vancouver, Washington. Actually, you're more... Um, uh, Woodland. Woodland. Yeah, I was going to say Green Mountain. That's um, Green Mountain. Okay. Anyway... That's what I live on. Yeah, you live is, on Green Mountain, yeah. but the Green Mountain is in Woodland. Anyway, yeah. it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter because it's your home. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, no, my whole point was, for those of you who don't know the climate of this area, the Portland area, uh, you know, it's a wet climate, mm -hmm. but more um, more significant, it's just kind of a very gray, drizzly, mm -hmm. often, you know, cloudy. Mm -hmm. And I heard that this is one of the wettest, cloudiest uh, winter slash springs we've ever had mm -hmm. in the history of this area. I think since January, uh, you know, we had that huge uh, snow ice storm 
And then after that cleared, I think we've only had, what was it, like 11 clear days uh, since... That's some ridiculously small numbers. Yeah, point, like yeah. 11 clear days since January. Yeah. But last Wednesday, it was this beautiful, like 80 degree, mm-hmm. you know, day. Me and Callie, my, my 10-year-old... Got sunburned outside. Yeah, yeah. We went hiking. We went yeah. up to Angel's Rest. Um, Another great thing about the Northwest, there's great hiking yes. around here. We have actual mountains to hike. Yeah, it's yeah. it's fantastic. With great views when you get up to the top. Amazing. The picture you posted, awesome views. Yeah, Columbia River. It was like mm-hmm. this It was like this uh, 270 degree angle of the river all the way around. Um, well, not all the way around because that'd be 360. But it's the the crazy thing of all that I can't talk. I'm on, <laughs> I'm so I'm so agitated here. The crazy thing of all this is you just never know. Mm-hmm. Like one day it's 80 degrees, one day it's 47. You know, today it's like 60 and cloudy with some rain. Tomorrow is gonna be 90. Like, <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and yeah, it's because we live right next to this great big thing called the Pacific Ocean. Oh, that know, thing. You know, yeah, that's right. Kind of has a big effect on the weather. I it hear. does. That's yeah, what I understand. Anyway, anyway, we're uh, <laughs> we're we're pleased to bring you part one oh. of a great great interview awesome. uh, with Keith Getty. Awesome. Who is Keith Getty? Do you know who Keith Getty is? Do you know who Keith? Yeah. If if you have been around church music for any length of time, you know of Keith and Chris and Getty. Uh, you've heard of Stuart Townend. They are. Bum, 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 bum. There you bum, go. Bum. Yeah, they they are you know most famous for uh, their song in Christ alone, uh, but they are kind of the founders, if you will, of the modern day uh, worship hymn. You know, and uh, yeah, it was a real pleasure. You're still going. Oh, yeah, just bring a little background music to your talk. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it was a real pleasure to talk with uh, Keith, and this is an interview we've been trying to set up for a while, and it was great uh, to kind of have it work out, but real, real pleasure talking with Keith. He's just a great guy. So big big thanks to Keith and to Dave at uh, Garden City for kind of being persistent and working it until we finally were able to make it all connect and work and Yes. Get, get it taken place. So yeah, without thank you. further ado. Oh, I, I was going to say, yeah, thank you to Dave Yock for uh, not uh, giving up on on this uh, particular um, uh, interview because I I was so excited to actually have a chance to sit down and talk with Keith. Yeah. So with only a little more ado, <laughs> here's our interview with Keith Getty. Well, hello, everyone. We are uh, pleased to uh, bring another really great guest to you today, one that uh, you are probably familiar with for sure this time, and and that is Keith Getty. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Finally, glad to finally get to chat to you guys. Yeah, us too. <laughs> yeah, and I got I got to say, just on a personal level, Keith, uh, I want to thank you for some of the songs you've written. We we sing a number of your songs in our church. Uh, probably most familiar uh, for most people in Christ alone. Um, But, you know, Power of the Cross, uh, O Church Arise, Behold the Lamb, those are all songs that we have done in our church. In fact, quick little uh, thing. Yesterday, David and I, we were at a pastor's gathering in Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon. There's about 100 pastors that gather together once a quarter. And uh, what song did we sing together? We sang O Church Arise. And I'm, oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good Lutheran style hymn in the year of Martin Luther. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And what a, what a, I mean, it's got that battle kind of vibe to it, you know, and it's, it was fun, like a room full of pastors, a hundred pastors and it everyone just, well. 
It yeah. sings well with guys, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, it totally does. It's, it's one of those songs that is just really, like, you, you hear a bunch of guys singing, you know, at the top of their lungs. It, it was really, really special, really fun. So Thank you so much. Yeah, well, anyway, thank you for your ministry. Thank you for the songs that you've written. Uh, but we want to jump right into the interview. We uh, certainly have tons and tons of stuff that we could talk about. But first, could you tell us just a little bit of your story, kind of your upbringing, where you grew up, you know, what your church upbringing was like? Yeah, my, my mom and dad raised me in a Christian home. Uh, dad was an organist, my mom was a piano teacher, so church music was part of life. It was kind of a couldn't escape it. Um, wanted to be good at sport, but really wasn't very good at sport. So <laughs> so um, my sister still likes to tell everybody that I that I gave up playing in the rugby team to play flute in an orchestra. She finds it amusing. <laughs> the music, most amusing story of unmanliness that may ever have existed. So... Um, <laughs> But um, but you know I'm thankful for that upbringing. It, it it gave me good mentors. It gave me good dreams. It filled my mind and my emotions with great thoughts of the Lord. And um, so so that was very much my childhood. It was uh, you know and and you know I say to all creative people, all people, all people interested in creativity, to all people interested in Christian ministry. You know, looking back on it now, I thought I was the most unlucky guy in the world to be Irish to be brought up in a sort of a strict conservative home that's listened to classical music and church music all day long. And, um, you know, my friends, we, had a, we were very sort of theological kind of Presbyterian background. And yet when you put all those things in your, in your, um, you know, high fiber juicer and turn the juicer on and pour it out, that's, that's how my music comes out. And so I think for all of us still to be thankful, to believe that God is sovereign actually means to embrace what God is, the context God's put us in and trying to, and trying to serve him in that way is really important. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. And it's just, it's so easy for us to kind of get hung up on, you know, things don't seem to be going our way, looking like we want them to look and how we think God should have designed our life to go. But then like you just shared the the perspective that we really need to have is that God has put all these things in us and all these things around us for a purpose and for a reason. And if we're willing to trust him in that, then we can see the good in that and that he wants to use that in a tremendous way. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, maybe we can just kind of jump right into uh, you and your and your hymn writing, let's be specific, uh, for the local church. What what was it that initially got you started down this road of writing hymns for the church today? Well, you know, I've laughed about it a number of times. I, I actually think they really they really were in one sense protest songs, you know, um, you know, but, you know, we I grew up. We live in an exciting generation to be Christians. There are more Christians in the world today than at any point in history. The Bible is in more languages. Um, but the vast majority of Christians in the world um, are first and second generation Christians. And in the West, where Christianity is in the decline, you know, we, we are an unusually shallow generation. Hmm. And, and if we want to be that generation who survive, if we want to be that generation who thrive, if we want to be that generation who really change the world in Jesus' name, we have to be deep believers. And part of that is how we sing. Um, and, uh, so a lot of my friends became pastors and, um, I wasn't, I wasn't smart or holy enough to be a pastor. <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, I guess to write, to write hymns that would build deep believers became my goal from a pretty early age and uh, from my early twenties. And as I said, we, we were, we were, we were divinely lucky in the, the first song that came out was in Christ alone, which was a partnership with Stuart Townend. And, um, that really opened the doors to help sort of almost define a new genre of music, which was modern hymns, which was this kind of fusion of, of worship songs and hymns. 
and uh, and that's been kind of our journey ever since. You know, I was talking to David ahead of time uh, while we were uh, getting set up for the interview, and I was telling David, you know, really, um, kind of what you said, this new genre of a modern-day hymn was really kind of created. Um, you know, I remember being in Bible college when In Christ Alone came out, mm-hmm. and, right. you know, I remember hearing it and thinking, like, wow, you know, it— the the it actually says something yeah right like there's this depth to it but it didn't sound like old it it sounded very fresh and and I remember uh, kind of thinking you know what is the song and then this whole you know journey of modern day hymns you know uh, Stuart Townend who I'm also a big fan of you know obviously uh, you know you guys have collaborated on a lot of stuff but it, it's very fascinating to try to create a new genre and you know i think successfully you've uh given a voice to a lot of for a lot of churches to be able to sing these wonderful hymns no thank 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 you well yeah i mean i think you know it was ringo Starr i said i get by with a little help from my friends and <laughs> and and if you think that wasn't if you, if, if you think ringo Starr was an extreme example i think i think i may be almost equally extreme i mean obviously Stuart. Stuart had written How Deep the Father's Love before the throne of God of Over, but written before that. And Christ Alone was, I guess, the first one that became kind of a, a, a really hugely popular song. Um, and again, it was a co-write with Stuart. And, and most of our best songs were Church Arise, you mentioned, Communion Hymn. So many of those were, were alongside Stuart. And then with Communion and a lot of others, you know, we were able to have Christian's input too, which added a freshness to our writing just at a real sort of crossover time where, where I think the momentum was beginning to flag a little. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned that you, you know, a, a boy from Ireland, you know, why, you know, the most unlucky upbringing in life. But but now I think, for one, that's one of the things that, that brings some richness to the music for us, you know, as Americans who are used to the same four chords in every song and the same. Or the same meter, right? right like same meter, everything's 4-4. Four, four, right? <laughs> and then suddenly you start throwing these, you know, 6-4 measures in uh, and and it was like so refreshing. Right. Know? Well, and. and even just a hook, you know, or a turn that that has a very interesting melodic harmonic nature to it, uh, like like uh, your songs do. And so, but now now you're living in America. What kind of led to that transition, that change to coming coming across the pond, as you guys say? Well, well, firstly, I, I'm encouraged and fascinated by your your artistic and intellectual curiosity. I, I, it's, it's kind of encouraging uh, the. The, 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 the turn for us was this. I, I turned I turned 30, and my wife and I just got married, and we were thinking, well, what, what do we do the rest of our lives? And at that point, I was still primarily an orchestral composer. That was my source of income, and uh, and and what I felt at that point I did best. And so we had to take stock of life and say, what, what do we do with our lives? And, and we felt we could be musical missionaries most effectively by being hymn writers. Mm. And uh, so the rest of our life, from that day, I remember one day making the decision, and I literally never wrote another orchestral chart in my whole life. Mm. And so, from December, from December 20, 2004, writing thirty six, writing thirty six uh, uh, orchestral charts all day with the team. Uh, then, within two months, I never did one again. And so, it was, it was a, it was, it was a bit of a radical switch. But, wow. but we, but we felt this was important. And we wrote, I wrote in Christ alone when I was twenty six, and uh, and uh, and so this was, a, it was, it was a new fa- that had opened the door, and we felt where is the most strategic place for us to be. And um, so in the end, we decided that to work to work from a base in America, but ret- retreat retreat to Ireland each summer would be the dream. So that's what we've done ever since. We've been, mm. you know, we work September to June 
from, from, from Nashville. And then initially with Alistair Begg up in Ohio. And mm. then Nashville was a better base. And then we go back each June uh, to, to Ireland. And we work there until middle of September and then come back over again. So, so uh, we think we get, we like, we like how Americans work and how the Irish play. We, <laughs> we think, we think both sides have a little bit to learn the other way around. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so Keith, speaking of Nashville real quick, I got to give a, a quick shout out. So, uh, one of, one of my good friends, uh, is the director of artist relations at Compassion International, Steve Jones. And uh, okay. he, he goes to our church, and uh, Steve's done a couple things uh, with you. I was texting him earlier, you know, saying, hey, I'm, I'm interviewing Keith Getty. And uh, anyway, so um, I got kind of this fun connection with Compassion. I know that you've partnered with Compassion International on some stuff, and uh, uh, you've been with uh, Steve Jones on, on a couple of different uh, things there. But uh, anyway, so kind of a kind of a cool little connection. You know, Steve goes to my church. He actually plays bass on my worship team, and uh, and he travels around. You know, and, and uh, director of artist relations. So he's connecting with a lot of you know groups and casting crowns and mercy me. And he does a lot of stuff with them. And well, say hi to Steve for us. It's an amazing organization. And um, anybody who's not anybody who doesn't know much about it needs to look at. You know what's happening, for example, in India at the minute, and I really pray for that organization. It's pretty, pretty remarkable organization. Yeah, I've been a big fan of Compassion, and you took a trip to Ecuador in 2009 with Compassion. How do you know that? Are you I, following me? I totally, <laughs> am, I, ta- I stalked you on Wikipedia. You know, it's amazing what you for, can find on Wikipedia. For, yeah, I'm looking for, I'm looking for a kind of a, a video <laughs> somewhere in the corner of the room. Here. So I should have, that was a brilliant trip. That was an amazing trip. Love that. Uh, great. Well, you mentioned and and we kind of alluded to it, you know. So we're we're no we're no strangers to the fact that uh, that time moves along quite steadily, and uh, the song "In Christ Alone" was one we sang in college, which was about fifteen years ago. And yeah. so, uh, so that's a lot a lot of water under the bridge, so to speak. Would you share with us maybe some of the highlights of that time between you know "In Christ Alone" and what's happened in between in your last fifteen years of ministry as a hymn writer? Yeah, I mean, gosh, um, that's what, what an open-minded question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think, I think, you know, obviously, Chris and I work together, and um, and and, li- and life begins. Or once we decided, we felt the rest of our lives should be about writing hymns and being stewards of those. Um, obviously, the most important thing to look after in life is our own our own lives and our own marriages, because that's you know the Lord the Lord will the Lord can heal anything, but but um, those are those are getting ones getting getting those bases in life really important and guarding those and trying to make those flourish is the most important thing and you know so it's been it's been an interesting journey for us we've been three thousand miles away from our parents and families which we've had to cling to each other a little more um and this year writing a book I would, we would say has been our biggest test you know um it took a number of years we thought we couldn't have kids for a number of years and then the lord gave us eliza and charlotte and gracie and um that's been that's been pretty transformative, and uh, but you know it's you know our stories are boring in, in some ways. Our story is a very boring story. It's just been it's just been constantly trying to write each year, trying to write better songs, trying to grow in your craft, but whatever whatever your craft is, whether it's making radio or writing songs or building businesses or being a pastor, but also trying to make sure your faith is growing faster than that, and that's that's what I struggle to do and. And, you know, as, as we've gone along that journey, they've been just asking good questions, you know. And um, and so we're, you know, it's, um, yeah, at the minute we're, we're, we're most excited about, obviously, 
you know, did this whole Sing project two, two years ago. Last year was one of the most transformative years for us of our whole career in that, in that um, we, with our, but we, we, we had a project called Facing a Task Unfinished, which was about how singing fires people to missions. And also just having our girls and trying to work out how do we help, how do we, when you see what's on TV, when you see, the, when you see bringing your girls to school and the threats at school, all this kind of stuff, is how do you raise kids in this context? There's a sort of thing called the Getty Kids Hymnal, which is really helping the Bible teach children to sing. And up until that point, we've been much more about the theology of hymn singing or the importance of singing together. And then those things put a lot more ideas in our heads. And in the middle of this process, then, my hero was Martin Luther, and we began to think about, about the 500th anniversary. And we were doing a lot of talks purely on congregational singing. And, um, and, so, and so that began the whole Sing Project, which launches this September, which is, which is just trying to encourage congregations to sing and encourage families, individuals, families, congregations, in their life and in their witness uh, to be singing churches. Now you you've already kind of talked about it this sing project. So is it uh, is it a book? Is it a movement? Uh, tell us a little bit more about sing. And for our listening, only time only time in history will tell if it's a movement. Is <laughs> you know over ten years we we've started I think ten different initiatives, and so this is the first time we've put all our initiatives into doing the one thing. Um, so it's it's very exciting from that point of view. It launches with a book. In September, as you know, it's this this fall is 500 years from Martin Luther. Um, is 500 did, did his, his, his his thesis at the door that began launched the Reformation, which he believed was a reformation of the church through the preaching and the singing of the word. And um, and so we thought this was a great time to launch this. And so we launched a book in September um, called Sing, and it's really written. For, it's written for. It's written. For everyone in the church, for, for your average pew person, Chris wrote it for a friend of hers who, who who loves the Lord and is involved in church but can't sing. So it's written about what is what's singing about, and mm-hmm. so it's about first of all why do we sing? Mm. That we're created, compelled, and commanded to sing. Um, secondly, it's about how singing transforms and builds deep believers. Thirdly, it's about how singing transforms families and family homes. Fourthly, it's about how singing transforms churches and bodies and, and communities. And fifthly, how it is a radical witness to the world. And then we do, we do a few bonus tracks at the end as little bits of advice for pastors and musicians and all this kind of stuff. Now, how can people get a hold of Sing? Uh, can they go to your website or Amazon? What's the best place to get the book? Um, well, you can go to our website and find out about it. It's not available yet until September. Um, so we're really excited to be, for it to be launching then. Um, the, 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 the Sing conference still has about 40 places left, which is happening in Nashville. It's being hosted primarily at Brentwood Baptist, but also at the Grand Ole Opry. We're doing a 5,000-person thing at the Opry House, which is going to be fantastic. <laughs> but it's it's a really exciting occasion, and we've invited leaders from around the world, Alistair Begg, Don Carson, David Platt, Paul Tripp, Johnny Erickson Tata, Stuart Townend, um, Bob Devon and Jordan Coughlin, um, Laura Story, uh, Devin, uh, Shai Lynn, a whole range of extra- uh, Matt Merker, a whole range of extraordinary musicians coming together and um, to look at this whole subject of congregational singing. Yeah. When is that taking place? That's in September. It's the same weekend as the book launches. Okay. 
of September 18 to 20. Okay. So if uh, if any of our listeners in the Nashville area, uh, September 18 through 20, definitely check that out. If I wasn't stuck here on the West Coast, only 25 percent of the people coming are from Nash from Tennessee. Oh, so 75 percent are coming from around from around North America and globally. Wow. Yeah, so our listeners in the Midwest, at least, ought to be able to get there. If you can afford to get there from here, then go. But, you know, our listeners in Indiana, Ohio, I grew up in Ohio. I know we have listeners there. So, you know, make the trek down there. It's only about how many six hours. How many times in your life do you get a chance to sing at the Grand Ole Opry? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. You know, I'm tempted. Maybe, David, you and I just do a road trip. Yeah, there we go. Uh, how, how, how many you days? Go, back, you go backstage and see Johnny, Cash, Johnny and June Cash Room and the Dolly Park Room and all this kind of stuff. It'd be Perfect. <laughs> It's a deal. Johnny Cash. It's only like a like a five or six day trip from Portland. That's forty hours of driving. That's yeah. All. Wow. How, okay. many, how many hours to cycle? <laughs> I don't know that number. A lot. I'd say I'd say a good two hundred probably. Yeah, that's a lot of hours. If you if you know how to cycle, for me it'd be like seven. Come to Nashville. Come to Nashville. Do it. <laughs> but, see, uh, where Johnny, see where Johnny Cash shot him on in Reno just to watch him die. <laughs> wow. Um, before we kind of move on to some of our other questions, I do want to dig into that idea just a little bit, if we can, of sing, um, because you mentioned, you know, these kind of these categories, if you will, or, um, you, you might say, uh, uh, um, environments for singing that we, we tend to limit singing and, and the idea, oh, singing is this thing, especially here on the West coast that I have to do on Sunday morning because the pastor makes me, you know, and, and, uh, so so what you're talking about is kind of a total transformation for us as as believers and in our culture, in our world. Most of the singing that I think our churchgoers do outside of church has nothing to do with Christ, right? You know, they're, they're singing the, the top 40 or they're singing some of the hits that they've been singing for 30, 40, 50 years that they've been listening to on the radio, uh, but but it's not Christ. How do we... How do how does this transformation begin to take place where singing is not just something we do on a Sunday to being a part of singing of God's truths all week, yeah. all lifelong? Well, my, my dad's old Maz teacher used to say, to understand is to know. And so we need to understand why we sing in the first place. You know, And as you said, we're commanded to sing. It's actually the second second most used command in Scripture. Mm. It's that important. Um, so obviously, obviously, to not sing is disobedience. To to go into church and look at the worship leader and, and musicians, everybody else, and then go, I, I really don't feel like this. Is is, is, is but it, but it's so much more than that, isn't it? Uh, in the sense that we're the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ compels us to sing. I, I hate to t- I hate to jeer at West Coast people, but I was at the Nashville Predators game last night where we crushed the Anaheim Ducks, and um, <laughs> you didn't have to tell us to sing, right? I mean. We were singing because, as the old spiritual says, we were singing because we're happy. <laughs> we sing because we're free. Well, we weren't free, but we're, at least we're singing because we're happy. But if we're singing because we're happy, and because we're free, well, it, it's the natural response. You know, it's the natural response of God's people. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, when they're clean, when they're clean, when they've been washed by the blood. Charles Wesley said, you know, bold I approached the eternal throne and claimed the crown. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed. We, we want to sing these things. It's, it's our natural response. And, um, and not only that, I think it's, it actually is very much in our DNA. So it's, we sing because we're, 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 we're commanded to sing. We sing because we're com- compelled because of the gospel. But it's in our DNA, uh, whether it's in a national predators game, whether it's watching the Irish rugby team beat the English rugby team. It's, these things make us want to sing. So, so we begin with that understanding those threefold things. 
But then this, the second point is is that it, it, it builds deep believers. Doing the Facing a Task Unfinished project last year and studying the stories of about 30 different missionaries was, a, was such an interesting exercise for Kristen and I because what we learned over and above their mission was that for all of them, singing was part of what propelled them to the mission field, what sustained them in the hardest times, and indeed what sustained them in the face of death. Singing was so important. to build. You cannot build deep believers without building singing people, hmm. people who sing by themselves, people who take seriously the content of the songs they sing. And so this is, this is hugely important for us. Um, uh, and, and so... so and I also believe when we look at this generation, and I think for those in, you know, if you're, if you're in Oregon or you're in Ireland, you probably see it a little more clearly than somebody in the southern states. But, but we really are in the last generation, I believe, of believers who will be nominal Christians. I think nominal Christians will be almost extinct within a generation because you cannot be passive about Christianity. And so if we want to be deep believers, we want to make a lasting impact. If we want our kids to make a lasting impact, we need to be singing deep songs. The Bible, the Bible in my, as I read it, I understand it is not remotely dogmatic about the style of music that we sing. Mm. You know, it, it loves the rock band as much as it loves the chamber orchestra, the pipe organ, the unaccompanied the acapella choir. Uh, you know, I, I think the Bible, almost it's almost a reflection of God's beauty as to how we get to sing in these beautiful ways. But it is very clear about, about how we sing, about what we sing. And um, it, it wants us to sing with thankfulness. It wants us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Mm. So I think I think... I think with a few minutes we have to sing every Sunday, we want to sing deep songs hmm. and build deep believers for the next generation. Um, and then, of course, with our families, you know, one of the interesting things when you look at the history of America, for example, the New England Puritans, that first generation of, of, of American believers, um, you know, they wouldn't allow a man to take the Lord's Supper, to take communion on a Sunday if he was not praying and singing with his family every day during the week. Right. In my opinion, that's an overreach. That's a little bit of autocratic abuse. But, but at the same time, at the same time, you know, their argument was, well, why should a man, when he's neglecting to do his first duty in life, well, how does that look at our? How does that compare to our generation? You know, are our children singing the eight to ten verse songs that you know Cecil Francis Alexander raised her children on? All things bright and beautiful. These songs are barely sung. Once in a while, David City. These songs are barely sung by adults now. So we want to build. We want to build deep homes. We want to build deep children. And um, and then fourthly, I think for us, one of the huge things was really changing the conversation about church music. You know, if in one generation we could make extinct this question, what's the music like in our church, and change it to what's the singing like in your church. Mm. But it doesn't it doesn't take away idolatry. I know that and, and hypocrisy, and, and all of us are capable of that, no matter what it is. But. But that has got to be where church music starts. It doesn't start with a business. It doesn't start with an industry. But it starts with how do our congregations sing? And then finally, remembering the, the witness of congregational singing. You know, every Sunday, Paul writes in the New Testament. We were, I was in a Bible study this morning. We're looking at Paul in the New Testament. And, you know, he's constantly using this logic with the believers to say, to say, watch what you're doing. There are people who aren't believers watching you. You know, and so for the unsaved spouse, for the unsaved kids, for... For, for the people yet to believe here in our congregations. Just the importance of the witness. What, a, what an awful witness it is to those people if we sing passively. Mm. So, so that, that's, the five, that's the five kind of perspectives where the book's all about and the mm. conference is all about and the tours are all about mm. and, and everything else that we're doing over the next year or two. So. Right. 
You know, Keith, you were talking earlier uh, about the importance of our kids uh, and our family singing and, and understanding even some of these uh, these hymns. And you know, you mentioned this kind of hymn book that you're doing for uh, for kids. You know, I think most people, and I'm probably guilty of this. I, I confess. You know, most people would think of that as almost like an afterthought. Like, oh, you know, I'll I'll maybe kind of do a little something for the kids. It's not really that important, but it sounds to me like this is kind of an important thing. Tell us a little bit, maybe go into a little bit more. Why is it so significant, this, uh, this project that you're doing, this kind of hymn book for kids? Um, what, what birthed that idea? Um, well, it was, it, was, it, was, it was looking at our own kids. Do you want, do you want the funny story or do, or do you want the super silliest, do you want the super, super, super silliest theological reason? Yeah. I get, want the funny story. Uh, yeah, give us the funny one. <laughs> so, so we're visiting a school called the Wilbur, a concert in, in just outside Philadelphia. And there's a school called the Wilberforce School. It's a Christian school. Mm-hmm. And they wrote to us and said, could, we, could you come that morning and come to our school? And I said, Kristen, what do you think? It's a long day. Do you want to go to visit a school? I'm happy to go, but just my wife look after the kids. She does the night, night shift for the kids. And, you know, what do you think? She goes, well, let's go to the school. We'll bring the kids there too. They'll, they'll, they'll say fun singing our kids. Oh, it's fine. So we get this speech. The, the headmaster gets up and he does this speech about how they use our hymns to teach children the gospel, to teach children the Bible. And so each month we teach them a new song, like Across the Lands or In Christ Alone or Part of the Cross or something, to teach them a doctrine of the Christian faith so they'll memorize it and sing it into their hearts. And then so, so, so they, they, they do this whole thing. Then they give us a round of applause for our hymns, and we have to thank them. It's kind of a little excruciating and embarrassing. <laughs> then they decide to sing one of the hymns, and it was like watching a slow car crash because, you know, Eliza's three at this time. We haven't started teaching Eliza hymns. She wants to join their, their the kids' choir at the front. So our kid with bright red hair, you know, the only one not- <laughs> Who is the only child that doesn't know the words of of, of Christ alone? <laughs> and it's just like I'm sitting there going, "There is no way back from this." I mean, there is no. How do I explain that? That <laughs> so is... yes, yeah. So realizing what lousy parents we are was kind of really helpful. And I guess that began making us think. Okay, we got to sort this out with our kids. And as we began to think about it, we began to realize the extraordinary rich heritage that was part in part our heritage, but that, that but has been in part Christian heritage. You know, Family Life Today did a did a survey of families that stick together who pray together, and it was a marvelous thing. And if that's true, but prayer so so much more even about singing, mm. and it's partly it's partly valuing our families, but it's also teaching our children. And so with the family with the Getty Kids hymnal. We released the first one last year in Colton Christ Alone. The second one's coming out for the cause this June. And uh, with those, really the three goals were to teach kids the Bible through the songs they sing. Secondly, to get them excited about singing. To hear other kids singing. To hear other kids having a blast singing. And then thirdly, to teach kids to be cultural, to be interesting, to be curious about about arts and things like that. So we always have these like did you knows. Um, our band, we, we, spent, we spent a lot of money doing really amazing tracks with our band, you know, which, which, you know, had, which incorporated all kinds of, you know, global instruments or incorporated classical music or incorporated Irish reels and dances. So that the kids get to really high quality of music and get to learn about, about, about the arts and, and, uh, as they go through. So I guess that's, that's the goal with the, the Getty Kids hymnal. Mm. 
Well, that sounds really great. That sounds like something I want to go get for my family and my kids. So yeah, it's funny because email, email email our office. They'll send you one. I want you to have. I want you to have some. You can get some way on the show if you wish. Okay, that's Perfect. wonderful. Thank you. Love it. Please do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, my my kids. I I got two girls. Uh, my oldest is uh, well, she's gonna be turning ten in three days. Um, my oldest is ten. My youngest is seven. And you know, both of our girls, they they love to sing. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm the worship pastor of my church. So kind of, that's a natural thing where, you know, they're singing uh, a lot of that, but you know, more often than not, you know, like lately they're singing the Moana soundtrack or the frozen soundtrack or, you know, whatever Disney movie is out. And to think of like an actual, you know, that, that idea, Hey, we're, we're teaching, you know, gospel and, you know, the great theology to our kids through singing and just to get them excited about singing, I think is a great. Thank you. It's great. No, I totally, I totally agree with you. You know, and you get your kids singing "Let It Go, Let It Go." Well, that's not, you know, my kids, my my kids love that that hideous song, and uh, <laughs> so, you know, I I know the I know your pain, but you know, it's it's so important even even to be listening to what our kids are singing and talking to them mm-hmm. about it because it becomes it becomes how they think and it becomes their emotional feelings. Right. And and then and then also at an, even at a deeper level what they don't sing becomes a problem too in terms of the understanding of God. And I mean, I mean, in our house, like we love folk music, pop music, Broadway songs. Like we're, we're real, we're a real kind of like, you know, arts nuts. We, mm-hmm. we listen to everything and, and, and talk about it, but, but just the importance of, I mean, I, I see it in my generation of, you know, so many people who grew up singing only songs that were about the positive aspects of Christianity, like, you know, how God delights in our praises or how God is loving in a kind of a nondescript, but very sentimental and emotionally emotionally charged way, and so many of those people, so many of those people, too many of those people, when life turned to be more difficult or more complex, or their context changed, or intellectually they were challenged in a new way, or their hearts or affections went in a new direction, their faith died like that because it, it was not compatible with with the theology that they sang. Well, throughout Scripture, so much of the building of faith and the kingdom community of God relied on family, right? I mean, that is the primary vehicle throughout all of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, that God used to bring up the faith, to bring up his people, his chosen people, and bring them out into the world. And uh, we see that Old Testament, New Testament, you know, the word oikos in the New Testament, the extended household, that that it's, it's through this relationship of community and the extended household and the and the uh, examples of faith that we have from you know Timothy's mother and grandmother and and all of the all of those things that it, it's through the house and through the family that we do these things. Why shouldn't we be maybe a lot more intentional as as believers in Christ and as leaders of our churches about the the building of the family around the faith? And if one of those main vehicles and instruments of doing that is singing and is singing content theological biblically rich songs, then Hey, let's make let's make it a point to do that in our families, and let's make it a point as churches and worship leaders and pastors to encourage and and uh, pull our people into that idea, right? Sorry, Absolutely. get a little bit uh, get a little bit. Uh, you're getting you're there. getting preaching. You're preaching. No, let's, let's join the join the revolution. <laughs> Hey Keith, we only have a couple minutes left here before we have to let you go. Um, thank, thank you for thank you for having me. It's just a privilege to get to chat about this stuff. Oh That's our yeah, pleasure, we our we've yeah, it's definitely been uh, yeah a pleasure on this end. Thank you. But I wanted to ask, just you know, you've talked a lot about um, uh, you know the sing 
book and that conference in Nashville. You've talked about the, you know, the, uh, the hymn, the hymnal for the kids. Um, what, what else, if you can tell us, what else is there, uh, kind of the future of Getty music? What do you guys have on the horizon in these last couple minutes? If you can share anything that you're allowed to tell us about maybe upcoming, uh, you know, CDs or hymns or anything, uh, Getty music wise. Yeah, well, we're, <clears throat> we're finishing up this kind of season of so mission projects, global mission projects, but this month we're releasing For the Cause, which is the new Getty Kids Hymnal Project, featuring kids from every continent of the world, mm -hmm. and we're really excited about that, and, and you, you can, you can I think it's available now from our, our, our site, but it's, um, it's really, it's, I mean, it's really cool, so it opens with all hail the power of Jesus' name, for example, but that hymn was written by a missionary to India, so verse 3, I let every kindred, every tribe, is sung in Hindi by a choir in India, huh. And then it repeats with "Let every kindred, every tribe," and we got. I got. We got. It starts with "Sing to the Lord" with kids from six in sixteen different languages screaming and shouting that. It's like a, like a party, and then it finishes with a kind of a dance, and it's it's cool. Um, we're we're really excited with that project. So that's the final kind of in the missions projects we've been doing, and um, but and that also really represents and sort of it's the, also the official launch of the Getty Kids hymnal. We've been sort of drip feeding it all year, but it kind of finally fully launches this June. So that's that's a fun thing. Uh, then we go home for the summer just to get a rest, and um, I'm just spent a lot of time just back in Ireland. And then we, when we hit September, everything, all things sing launch. There's still, there's still, I think about 40 places left for the sing conference. And so we'd love to, uh, we'd love to close this up as soon as uh, we'd love, we'd love anybody, everyone to feel welcome to come. If you're a pastor, it's for pastors and musicians. So if you're curious, frustrated, passionate about church music, we would just love uh, about congregational singing. We, we'd really love you to come to that. Mm -hmm. And um uh, and then that, that, that launches Sing. So Sing is a book. It's a conference. It's also an online conference as well. Um, and then from that will come an album and a tour. The Christmas show, the Christmas show is, re, is, is relaunching this year. It's actually playing on the West Coast. Hmm. And it's, it's a big Christmas carol sing. And then the national tour of Sing is next year with, with the album. But it's, it's all part of a, a wider movement of just, of just trying to change this conversation in church life to congregational hmm. Well, with our last couple of minutes, would you just kind of leave us on maybe a little bit of encouragement to us as worship pastors, pastors, leaders in our local communities on uh, some some things that you might say, hey, you know, keep up the good work, keep working on this. God wants wants yeah, this. Well, it's you know, you know, it's you know, it's there is no there is no higher role in life than than helping God's people sing, you know, and um, and know what you're doing is a spiritual work. Know that. Um, know that you're influencing people's personal daily devotional lives. You're, you're impacting their families. You're impacting the community that is God's family with all its glorious dysfunctionality that He's put into your church, and that we're witnessing to Christ every time we sing. But let's 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 for the next year, let's let's make the challenge each week on a Sunday or a Monday or a Tuesday when we get together, and 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 have our nice you know Portland coffee. That the question that we're asking every week is is how do God's people sing, mm -hmm. and uh, and and that that will be that that will be the question, and, and let's see let's see how that readjusts um, our, our our worship leading, our music our musical leading, and let's see how it and let's see how it it it, it, it grows from there. Great, wonderful. Well, we have been talking with Keith Getty, uh, hymn writer, modern day hymn writer, author of coming book. Sing being re released in September. Make sure to check out Keith Getty at gettymusic.com. Keith, thank you so much for your time today on the show. 
Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. He's a cool guy. I just love his accent, too. Accent's awesome. He's humble. At least he seems humble to me. I don't know. But, uh, no, I just... I I greatly appreciate that. Um, I mean, because I would imagine that since his work between him and Stewart, and you know, kind of the the birth, the rebirth of the modern day hymn writer. Yeah, there've been a lot of guys that have thought, "Hey, that's that's kind of a cool niche. Maybe I want to get into. You know, maybe I can tap into that <laughs> a little bit and kind of get some get a name for myself as a as a modern day hymn writer, that wasn't the motivation at all, right? At least not from what he shares. <laughs> right, so. right. He he wasn't trying to like you know tap into this unsolicited market or whatever mm-hmm. um but he he just saw a need you know mm-hmm. and i love that i i remember uh you know years and years ago i I went to this uh worship conference where brian dirksen was speaking and he said you know as a songwriter you always want to write towards a need in the church mm-hmm. you know and he's like the songs i write i'm writing because the church needs them like there isn't that and mm-hmm. you know that's basically what keith was doing he's like mm-hmm. hey this isn't happening in the church. But yeah, and- talking about real quick, that idea of writing to need, you know, um, we've, we've been doing a lot of talking about this here at the church about, about the gospel. And there are, there is a plethora, there is an abundance of songs about the cross. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to diminish the significance of the work Christ did on the cross. No. But how often do we sing about the resurrection? Mm. I mean, very little time of our church year I think at least the churches I've been a part. Maybe it's just all me. Maybe it's my fault because I was the worship pastor and I was picking the songs. You know, it's like <laughs> it's we only sing fault, about the man. resurrection on Easter. But <laughs> but how much of our church year do we spend singing about the resurrection? And not just that, but like you know, with the conference we were at yesterday, he, he talked about the significance of the ascension and Pentecost. Yeah, and those four parts of the gospel. Like we always, we kind of just like get flooded and immersed in part one of the four part story, the cross, the cross. Yeah. And we don't talk about or sing about and worship the resurrection, the resur- about the, ascension, the resurrection, the ascension, Pentecost, Pentecost, sending of the Holy spirit, which by the way, gives us the power to be able to live out the life that we're supposed to be living anyway. So like, why yeah. wouldn't we celebrate that, you know, and, and worship the God who, who did this four part grand story. And so I've just been doing a lot of thinking, you know, as my life as a songwriter, you know, I want to, I want to write into those needs a little bit. I want to write into the need of songs that not just not just entirely focus on the resurrection, but talk about mm. how the resurrection plays out in life, right? Because the resurrection power, uh, who is it? Is it Jeremy Camp or uh, that same power that yeah. Jesus? Is that Jeremy Camp? Yeah, that's like, Jeremy Camp. Yeah, uh, lives in same us. Power you know where that comes from? Lives in us. The Bible. Of the Bible. Yeah, the Bible yeah. says that. Did wow, you know? it's like, weird. Oh, the same power of the, that rose Christ from the dead lives in us. Oh, well, maybe we ought to sing about that a little more. Maybe you know? we should uh, sing. Yeah, but, and uh, so you'll you'll want to, like I already said, you'll want to listen to next week's episode where uh, Keith really launches into the Sing Project and um, uh, talks some more about kind of what Getty Music is doing, what's on the horizon uh, but really, really enjoyed our time uh, today with Keith, and yeah. uh, hopefully you enjoyed listening as well. Yeah. So that's all the time we have for this episode. We will uh, let you go for today, but don't go far. Be back. Come back. Uh, because a lot of great stuff, really good stuff that's coming up in that uh, episode. But for now, uh, you can find us online, worshipministrycatalyst.com, facebook.com slash worshipministrycatalyst, twitter.com slash WMCatalyst. You can send an email to... 
Kevin at worshipministrycatalyst.com. You can send a text to 360-818-4339. There you go. Send and, that text. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. We appreciate all of that. And just spread the word. Hey, those old guys at Worship Ministry Catalyst are still around. Old? So, yeah. Do you know tomorrow is my birthday? Is it? Man. So you, you're turning uh, 30, 35. 35. 35. I'm old, right? I, I turned 38 this year. Man. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm old. I mean, what what defines old? At what time do you get old? It used to be forty. Now I think it's like sixty-five. Sixty-five is new forty. Because we're getting more and more vain as our culture progresses into our uh, inwardly uh, towards ourselves. I don't feel old. I still feel young. I I feel old. (laughs) (laughs) So thirty-eight must be the number. (laughs) Three more years. All right, I got this. But uh, for now, uh, enjoy that interview, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Twitter.com slash WM Catalyst. Facebook.com slash Worship Ministry Catalyst. <laughs>